One afternoon when I was living back east, I was compelled by necessity to shop at a nearby mall. Now I have to tell you, I would rather have root canal without anesthesia than go shopping. And as I got out of my car, I noticed there were two women who were moving toward me. And assuming they were going to hit me up for a contribution to one thing or another, I engaged in evasive maneuvers, but they matched every move I made. Surrendering to the inevitable, I stopped. They come up, came up to me, smiling away, and asked, are you saved? And I responded, if I say yes, will you go away? Well, these ladies were pros. Undaunted, they launched into a very well-rehearsed sermonizing about all those who are going to be condemned, or those, all the people that are going to go to hell, how only a select few are going to heaven, that they belong to that select few, and I was being offered the privilege of joining their group. Well, over the years, I've had all kinds of encounters with pretty much the same message. Only a few are going to be saved, and if you want to be among them, you got to join their group. You just have to love Jesus' answer. When he was asked, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He completely dismissed the issue of numbers. Instead, he stressed what ultimately matters, the call to each person to enter through the narrow gate. But what does he mean by that? The narrow gate is not a thing. It's not a set of doctrines. It's not a style of worship. The narrow gate is Jesus himself. Or more specifically, the lifelong development of a personal relationship with him, which like any fulfilling relationship, be it that of marriage or friendship, requires a great deal of work. It requires cultivation, spending time together, the sacrifice of the self, openness to change. Why, though, does Jesus use the curious term narrow? to describe a relationship with him. As God, he knows that a human being is designed for truth and longs for union with God. That's how we're made. And no created thing in the universe can ever be a satisfying substitute. But Jesus also knows how all too easily we abandon truth and we pursue all kinds of falsehoods, ultimately leaving us dissatisfied, disillusioned, weary, and lost. Jesus is the narrow gate because it can be very hard at times to stay focused on him. Now, some folks figure this out very early in life. Some don't until midlife, some not until advanced age, and some, well, never figure it out. The world is self-referential. 
That is to say, the world always points to itself as man's ultimate happiness, as man's ultimate reason for existence, offering an endless array of all kinds of enticing distractions as substitutes for truth, reinforcing the fallacy that one's feelings are truth, all of which appeal to our fallen nature. Jesus, on the other hand, is self emptying, calling every human being into a profound relationship with him, empowering each person to see the world and all of its God-given glory as pointing to God, not itself. The The narrowness Jesus refers to is the discipline of recognizing our illusions, calling them such, seeing the enticing distractions as substitutes for truth, and saying, "Uh uh-uh, not going down that road. And it's hard. It is no wonder that many ignore the issue of faith, or they settle for paying lip service to the faith, instead of making one's relationship with Jesus and the call to discipleship primary. They correctly sense what doing so will require of them, that how they perceive the world, how they think, what they're doing, how they're living their lives may be destructive to their dignity and the dignity of others. The world tells them whatever they do is okay, and they're happy to dwell in the lie and false hope. But while the world tolerates everything, it forgives nothing. A relationship with Jesus is narrowing because it requires us to constantly prune away that which is destructive to us, to pluck away at the root of that primordial defect of our fallen nature, and constantly place the world in its proper perspective. But what about those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, are fluent in the Jesus talk, put on all kinds of religious airs for public consumption, but whose lives are not in accord with being a disciple and live in the world as the world says they should live. They're frauds. I realize that's not politically correct, but there's no other way to say it. St. Augustine, writing back in the 4th century, referred to such people. He said, Christ has hidden enemies. All those who live unjust and irreligious lives are Christ's enemies, even if they are signed with his name and are called Christian. And Jesus' words to such people, if they do not use their time to repent, if they do not cultivate a relationship with him so they can bear fruit in their brief lives are the most horrible words one could hear. Depart from me, you evildoers. To whom is salvation offered? The prophet Isaiah told us in our first reading, God will gather people from all the nations, the goim, meaning non-Jews, 
and shockingly will even take non-Jews and make them priests and Levites. Jesus fulfills the prophecy stating that people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. The call to the fullness of life, both in this world and in the next, is universal. The graces needed are universal, offered to all. Those are givens. What is not a given, what Jesus waits for, is our response. 